I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I have found myself in the middle of the phenomenon that is the Christian music industry. From my years recording and touring the world as one of the guys in For Him, to my years as a mega church worship pastor, and for the past 16 years, I've been hosting a radio show called Worship with Andy Chrisman, heard on 500 stations around the world every week. And because of all this, I've been blessed with a unique perspective. I've toured with, recorded with, and become friends with just about everyone that's responsible for the music that plays on Christian radio and sung in churches everywhere. And I think that makes me the perfect person to share their stories with you here on One Degree of Andy. I really, really love the conversation you're about to experience. I've known Dave and Don almost my entire professional career, and the fact that we were able to keep this podcast to under two hours is a miracle. And if you're a musician, a songwriter, or you're just curious about what goes on behind the scenes in Christian music, you will find the next 90 minutes fascinating. I know I did, and I was in the middle of it. And I did very little editing to what you're about to hear. And I even left in a little bit of the back and forth between longtime friends before the actual podcast recording started. And that first voice you'll hear is Don Cook giving his old friend Dave Clark grief that he's never shared his Tennessee Titans season tickets with him. You would Not think more. after 30, 40 years of writing that I would have gotten a call for one of them seats, possibly. I, but I, I, I no, 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 that's not I the case. you and Carson do a game. Yes, there was that one yes, game. There was that one game. That was... <laughs> But I've always, I've always felt like the best seat in the house is on my couch in front of my well, TV. Amen, That's the way you feel about life, though. Well, that is true. That is very, very true. I know all Netflix movies. I know just, them. I've can seen. Can you just be quiet? We're we're burning such good stuff here. <laughs> all right. I want all this on tape. How we doing? Oh, are you, you rolling, rolling now? Oh, okay, great, great. All right. So uh, no, I'm going to start. So and if I if I screw this up, I'll start over again. Um, but and then you you guys are probably going to laugh. Feel free to laugh at this if you want. I don't care. So we'll start in three, two, one. All right, in January of 1990, Mark Harris, Kirk Sullivan, Marty McGee, and I walked into Great Circle Sound. That's what it was called, right? Over at Benson? Yep, yeah. it was. Yeah. At the Benson Records building to begin recording for him's debut album. I remember that we had asked our label about working with producers Chris Harris and Mark Heimerman because we loved uh, the sound they developed on those Prism albums. You remember those, mm-hmm. the Prism album, the different colored albums? Yeah. Yeah, uh, we also wanted to work with Jonathan David Brown had a long history of producing artists like Petra and Twyla Paris. And then there was this guy named Don Cook, who we didn't know who he was. We didn't know who you were, Don. That's true. Yeah. Uh, our a and guy, Andy Ivey, told us that Benson, which was the label we had signed to and that Don was a staff writer for, that they wanted to give him a few projects to get his career rolling as a producer. Turns out, two of the three biggest hits off of that debut album were written and produced by Don. And our collaboration with him over the next decade would bring, and I don't have this number here in front of me, um, but it was a big percentage of the number one radio singles we had is for him that Don you produced. And it wasn't just for him's music where Don had success. He would also go on to be one of the most successful songwriters and producers in CCM history with a total of 41, 40 number one songs. But I can't tell the story of my history with Don without including his friend and longtime co-writing partner, Dave Clark. Uh, seven number one songs. That's how many Dave contributed to our career. But his impact on Christian music as a whole is pretty incredible. 28 number one songs with a number one song in five different decades. That just tells us how old you are, Dave. Super old. Yes. And I'm sure that if I got any of those numbers wrong, they will correct me in the kindest way possible because that's what friends do. 
And that's what these guys do for sure. And that's what I love most about Don and Dave. They're my friends. You cannot tell the story of Christian music without either one of them. And I couldn't tell the story of my life without either one of them. And uh, guys, when I look back on those early days when we were getting started, I'm blown away that we could be here 33 years later telling our stories. So welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to... See, I have no idea where this conversation is going to go, <laughs> but I trust you have a that, script for you, but yeah, not for us. Exactly, because okay. it wouldn't do any good. All right, but uh, uh, but uh, Don, I just want to start with you, just because you were that. I think you were that first guy we met, Don, Dave. I don't remember if I remember. I remember you and maybe a couple other guys from Benson coming out on the road. Yeah. Uh, before yeah. we started, we're, I don't know if you're on one of those trips or not, Dave. Conyers, Georgia, First Baptist Church, and uh, you were still with Truth. Yeah. And they brought for him out to do a couple of songs, and one of those was Life Goes On. And Don and I had driven down that day, yeah, and we yeah. were going to drive back that night. Yeah. And something in the room was so electric. Don and I just kind of looked at each other and went, okay, we're on the ground floor of something pretty big wow. here. Yeah. I, I do remember. I, I, I mean, I remember, I remember doing Where There's Faith for the first time yeah. in, mm-hmm. in, in concert and just going, wow, this, this is different. Like, yeah, this feels sure. different. Um, but I, I, but I feel like we maybe we met you before we got to the studio, before we signed our deal. Did we? Yeah. Um, you can't really tell the Forham story without telling a portion of the truth story. True. Because that's really where you guys kind of honed your skills. And you were really, you signed a, a new artist deal, but you were by no means a new artist. You had been oh, out no. on the road forever. Yeah. So... That was a huge advantage to the first project that we worked on because you guys had done this before. And I had written a number of songs for Truth in, in my history. Mm-hmm. Not huge, not, not, not lots of numbers, but enough to say I've written you know, for Truth. And yeah. that's really where I met you guys is really, really how it happened. You guys were kind of not for him yet, but kind of. You know, yeah. you could see the magic before the name named the magic. Well, we had done a thousand concerts together, the four right. of us, in right. truth, right. before we ever did a concert as for him. Right. And that, you know, that alone, <clears throat> I, I feel like we were known, I have this memory of us being known in Nashville as the, the, the truth guys. Right. Or the four right. guys from right. truth. And we, we struggled forever to come up with our name. Yeah. Like we couldn't, yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of really bad ideas and we didn't like for him. Yeah. Even coming into town that day. When you were coming in for the first song meeting, I think yeah. the the nobody knew what you were going to be called yet. Yeah, we didn't either. Yeah. We and and Benson told us we, you we you can't sign the contract unless you have a name. And so we had a guy. His name is Dave Mantini. He was a trumpet player uh, in Truth, and he threw out the name for him, and we laughed and we hated it. We thought it sounded real Southern gospel. And hey, hey, hey. <laughs> careful. <laughs> and we. We because when we had a we had a little we had a little um, incentive going on. We said we'd pay anybody we'd pay anybody on the truth bus fifty bucks if they could come up with a name. Well, that's a week's salary for truth. It, right? Well, for some, for some, for some, <laughs> if you've been there a while, fifty bucks is your week's salary. Um, but we never paid him, and I I shudder to think of the interest yeah. on that. If he ever comes collect, Dave, if you're listening to this, we'll, yeah. we can settle somewhere. If, on, that could be. if you if you need an attorney, I can help. You. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but those days were. I, I look back. They're 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 at one time in one way foggy. Like I don't remember a yeah, ton of it, but sure. also very clear. Yeah. Being in the studio, 
uh, with you, Don, and and you were different than, and all we all I'd ever worked with was Stevie Taylor, who's right. amazing. Right. But yes. it was different. There was a we yeah. weren't reading down charts. Uh, we were actually <laughs> in the reason. studio. Yeah. yeah, there's a reason. <laughs> we were in the studio collaborating on what the, you know, where the the BGVs would go, right, and right, right. Uh, man, just that first record, he will be there for you, and yeah. he never changes. Yeah. And um, man, there were some really beautiful moments on that. Uh, couldn't we stand on yeah. that on that yeah. on that first project that 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 really set us in that in that direction that we would go for a long time? Yeah. Well, and and again, I think coming from truth. Truth was uh, uh, so many people that you can't put them on a cover very well, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's But when we could borrow some of the influences that you guys, vocal tricks that you guys birthed in Truth, but it was now a different thing. It was just four guys, and it was, a gr- it was like a group, not an ensemble. And so you really had to create a signature for a group that in truth you, it, it's an ensemble forever it's right. no matter what you did right and so that was the journey to just try and what are the vocal influences and you know i i was a huge fan of the carpenters and the bgs and all of those things came into mm-hmm. my love for vocal parts and it really it really was you had four singers who could really really sing and and a good amount, amount of them who had great ideas, and they were, you guys weren't afraid of bringing those ideas to the table, those would not have been as welcome in truth because it was a very mechanical thing. Here, in, for him, we could explore that and take time to do it. When you talk about the, the, us being these voices that, you know, that is sung together for a long time, we also knew our place sure. in in that in that sure. vocal spectrum, we knew who did what. Yeah. We knew what voice brought, you know, what timbre, and yeah. and we were really good at, at combining our voices quickly, yeah. and didn't have to have a lot of experimenting going on. Because that first record, I mean, I think we were only in town for like six days, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And we did we did a little more than a song a day on right. that nine song right. EP. And that's tough to do. Um, when you're trying to still explore and try to, you know, find your way and you want, it's, it's easier if you're just telling the artist what to do, then you can just, you just sing it. But if you're wanting that collaborative process, which that was the beginning, that was the roots of that collaborative process. It would grow and continue to grow, you know, and it was really just kind of shaping what that would be. And really, I think the for him, one of the for him signatures would become background vocal answer lines that was really you got we did that a lot of that and that was like nobody was doing that you know it was like okay that's pretty cool i like what that is and a lot of vocals lots of vocals on tape so it was it was those were really great exploration days were we the first artists that you produced had you produced an artist before i had produced a number of them a number of artists but that was probably the first thing I produced where I just could really find my place in it. To just go, you know, this is this is as much me. If I if I could sing, which I can't, I I could do this. I could actually do this. And it, people don't know this, but I always really wanted to be a part of truth, and never was. I, I couldn't. I wasn't. I wasn't skilled enough to do it. I wouldn't <laughs> have made the group. It was just. 
You were, no, you're yeah, it was you're, silly. Really, I mean, yeah. your keyboard skills. Yeah, I know, would but, have, but would have. yes, but I my keyboard skills are in unorthodox ways. Okay. You know, they're just you know, it, so I don't have traditional skills like that. I'm self taught, and well, I, the reading. Yeah, the reading would have been a challenge to huh. me, but. Um, you know, it wasn't in for him because I could control everything and do things my way, you know, yeah. and and no one ever saw my mistakes. I, I would fix them myself and no one ever saw that. So that was part of the growth model. And then also this was really before a lot of tuning, vocal tuning came into oh, yeah, the picture. Yeah, we didn't do any vocal tuning. Right. It, yeah. was, it was important to get it right and get it seriously right. And so... I think it really, I was cut out to kind of, my ears were cut out to hear all the, those things and kind of shape them and, and get them. And that is a skill set. I mean, that's why not everybody can be a producer because it right. is, you know, right. uh, I, I hear about actors who, you know, talk about how hard it is to become a director because there, yeah. you, there's so many other things you have to think about. And, and that's pretty much, people don't understand when they, they hear producer in the studio and then they hear a producer on a movie, I'm like, no, it's actually... Yeah, it's yeah, different. The, it's different. It's the, the, different. You're more like a director. Right. And, Correct. And making sure that every little thing is done right. And like, you know, like we said earlier, we'd come in just for the day and do right. a couple of vocals, a couple of, couple of songs and do all the vocals, and then we'd go back on the road and we wouldn't right. hear it again for weeks. Correct. Yeah. And in the beginning, it was really... There was more in the very beginning... Hey, sing this, sing this, sing this. And as the relationship and records and songs grew, you guys began to sing what I wanted to hear without me saying things. Yeah. And it would, and you know, I produced a good number of groups, but none of those made me feel like I was a part of this group. I was an extension of this group. You guys finished my sentences and vice versa. And that was really fueled not just by producing because I had something to prove you know I was up against Chris Harris and Mark Hyman and those guys were super talented and I was a fan of the works that they had done even Reed Arvin yeah. I was a huge fan of Reed Arvin's but I wanted to make my own way so there was a huge competitive spirit of it I didn't want to produce the whole record I wanted those other guys because I wanted to go up against something. Oh, we felt it. Yeah. We I felt mean, it going from, because we did multiple producers right. on just about every record. We right. felt it going from producer to producer, yeah. and uh, each producer would say, oh, tell me, what's Don doing? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What, yeah. Tell me, can you yeah. play anything that he's yeah. doing? Or, yeah. you know, you would you would feel that competitive spirit, which is great for us, because yeah. you guys are all, you're, you're battling for those those singles, and, and you know, right. you want to. You, you're furthering your career as well, right? And yeah, that was those were those were interesting days. I remember Reed, uh, bu buying that Fairlight. Oh yeah. During that time. Oh yeah. And just just, just the crazy things like that that I remember yeah. going. Yeah, he's like, this is what I need to compete right. in this area here. Yeah. Well, and he would he Reed showed up at my tracking session for for him and sat in the back That's on a right. couch and wouldn't leave. And it, it wow. was it was like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? <laughs> I feel like you're a German spy, you know, it's like, what is going on? Wow. But it, it just fueled me to go, okay, I've, I've got to, I've got to line this up right. But that wasn't really the love for him. The love for him started at the song level. It really did. Without, without Mark, 
I I would not have fit as well into For Him as as I did because all of the other producers or most of the other producers could not draw themselves creatively back as far as I did to be to the beginning of the song, the birth of the song. And that's where Dave Dave would come in too. That we kinda we kinda started writing with Mark and the 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 idea was we're here to help Mark write songs for his group. Yeah. What ended up happening is that it was it ended up being like a greater thing than that. It was like I was getting as much out of this from Mark. It wasn't just a one way street of, hey, we're helping Mark. Mark was brilliant. It just we had to once his brilliance was starting to come out, it didn't come out right at the beginning, but it it came out, yeah, and it, it was like beautiful. So wait, Mark had brilliance. <laughs> all the, yeah. all the was, time, I'm just yeah, now yeah, finding yeah. that out. It was very hidden. It was covered, it must, if you will. It must have been. Yeah, it was covered. And, yeah. No, but there were songs that we all three needed to be in the room, yeah. and that's the way God designed it, and that's how that song was birthed. And then there were songs that. I didn't need to be in the room. I wanted to be in the room. It was frustrating because I wanted to be in the room. Dave wanted to be in the room. We all, but again, there were necessary things, especially for Mark's skill set to grow. He needed to be in the room and then not have me in the room at the times, and and not Dave in the room at times. You know, to give him a sense of, but you better deliver a lyric. And that, that is yeah. incredible. It was that first record. We were in Great Circle, yeah. second floor, yeah, at, at Benson. And Mark had two ideas, and we do you remember what those were? Yeah. We were going to start, that was our first co-write with Mark, and one of them, he had a chorus, every second of every, yeah. and, and the other one was, um, was it When I'm Gone? I yeah, mean, it was, yeah it, I think so. And we sat there that night, and we worked till sunup, yeah. the three of us. Yeah. And we just, but there was a hunger from a songwriting standpoint. We knew the artist was in the room. We knew Don was producing, and you just even then it was no, this can be better. And yeah. and that that's the consistency that I've seen all through these years. Is right. we still will refuse to settle when we think why settle for good if there's great in another few hours. Yeah. So you know the just sitting here with you two guys. I mean this is this is a brotherhood. That and if the other three for him guys were here, right, we'd be here all night telling stories, yeah, and, sure. and going through all this some stuff. of them so, true, yes, yeah. some of them actually true, yes, uh, some 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 of them that we could even air, and um, but there's a uh, there's something about when the right the right people come together, when the right ingredients come right. together, right. and you want to you want to maximize that as long as possible. Um, was there a song that the three of you wrote together where you were like, oh, oh okay, we, we've, I think we've, we've kind of hit that stride. To me, I mean, it almost felt like that way from the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, but, but we began to trust, and I, I always had a thing where if I went in to write with an artist, I didn't give them my ideas because I didn't want to throw something out there that I was passionate about that they weren't. But the thing with Mark, it was almost immediately I found like we were both into the same exact ideas. And and there was just so many pivotal moments from a song standpoint. And I had grown up in Southern Gospel. 
And so I had never heard that kind of music. And, and I think I told you the story about Don, Don and I were working on a project together, and he said, we got done early one day in Franklin. He said, hey, Truth is showcasing their new record at Great Circle. You want to stop by and hear it? Well, I didn't know who they were. I'd grown up in the North. We didn't. Which record? Do you remember which record it was? Yeah. So we go, we go, and it was a. They set up for the salespeople in chairs in the Great Circle. Make it matter. Was that, was and, that the oh, record? Wow. Make okay. it matter. And they get up and they yeah. they say we're going to do the title cut off our new record. It was um, making it matter. Oh, yeah. That Don and I had written, and we just yeah. went. I I back then we didn't know who was cutting the stuff, and I'm thinking, okay, I'd never heard my stuff done like that. And then a few songs later, they said, now we're going to do the new first single, and they did Higher Ground. And I looked at Don and said, I don't know who these folks are, but they, I love their choice in songs. And it, I mean, so all that, so even when, when that day you were coming in, uh, Andy Ivey called and said, somebody pulled a song. And I remember who it was. They said they didn't want to give it a song that good to an unknown group. Yeah. I don't know if you ever sure. heard that or not. Oh, yeah. They said, Andy said, you got two hours to write that slot. And we knew we already had, you know, three yeah. or four. Well, and those people, I'm sure, live to regret that decision yeah. <laughs> to not give that song to for him. So Don but, and I go down the room. Yeah. Don starts playing, yeah, and he he writes melodies that say words to me. And mm. there's not another writer in town that does that. And it was two hours later. We walked up and handed Andy a song. It was called "Couldn't You Stand a Need a Little Longer." Yeah, I'd never had that idea. Don started playing. And uh, that, but that was the way, it, and there was an excitement because you knew you could trust Mark with an idea, and then Mark started trusting us with ideas. Like strange yeah. way to save the world. And uh, oh, wow. well, I think you know, and couldn't we stand was a good example of if if this vocal group was not this vocal group, I don't think that song would have worked because yes. of the way that yeah. the harmonic structures mm-hmm. on on. On the first line, couldn't we stand and eat a little longer? That little, yeah. pu- that little scoop. I'm singing in my head right yeah, now. Yeah, most mm-hmm. most groups would have walked away from that, and it would. Uh, it was like, oh, that's a cool, interesting idea to do, that you couldn't pull off. It was just singing a melody. If somebody just sang the melody, you wouldn't get the potential of the song. Mm-hmm. So it was more like, hey, this can be cool, guys. This can really work. And once the har- harmonies got into it, it was like, oh. Yes, of course. But, That's but Don exactly also right. wrote melodies with harmonies in mind, right, and most right. melody writers don't think that way. Right, and and that was always so, which was perfect for us because that that yeah. was always right. going to be right. our trademark. Well, and part of it is I know a lot of people who write melodies like that, but they're in the Southern Gospel world. Yeah, they really do write well, like and, that. And look, not we're in not the we're world. not that far. I mean, we're not that yeah. far removed from the Southern Gospel right. world. Not I mean, now. some of not our now. biggest fans, like as far as uh, the artists, correct, that really were fans of ours, were Southern Gospel artists, right. and so we had a really good connection with them, good relationship with so many of them, yeah. and and honestly, that's why we didn't like the name for him because it felt right. Southern felt Gospel. Southern. Yeah, but. Something you wouldn't know, and I, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but great, here it comes. Uh, I I took a lot of flack because I mean I had I had two records nominated for Grammys that I produced for J.D. Sumner and the Stamps. I was right in the hub of Southern, and all of a sudden I left my my base yeah. to write this other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it, people that I couldn't believe said things that I I wouldn't have ever thought. Of. Why would you? You know, but it's those same people now that are coming back saying, "Hey, have you got another one of uh, you got?" Yeah. One? They were all listening to that, but they didn't admit it, and and you know, you, that's part of the cycle. So I love that 
what we were writing back then, we're still writing the same thing. Now they call it Southern. Yeah. yeah. And Southern Gospel's yeah. living in that for him lane from the late 80s and the PCD. early 90s. Yeah. And Philip Gardner Dean, the same thing. They're living in that lane. And, and it's funny to see all of a sudden, oh, well, I've been, I've been doing this kind of music since, yeah. you know, the 80s. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's current and popular yeah. in the Southern world because they've grown now and gone. They want their tracks to sound a certain way. Yeah. There's, a, you know, so it it's just it's interesting the turnaround. Yeah, you know, I, I, I sat down with one Southern co-writer a year or so ago, and he started the writing session by saying, "Okay, so which for him tune do we rip off today?" Oh yes. my gosh! Oh gosh, yes. And I'm I'm yes. laughing because yeah. I was there, I, and there were backstories that that nobody would have heard even back then, like. Um, uh, so there's one song that Don wrote a melody, and it, it, it gave me words, and so I wrote him, and he said, no, that's Southern. And I said, yeah, but it's right. And he said, no, no. So we ended up, I wrote two complete different melodies, or two different lyrics, and I said, whichever one gets cut first, we'll, we'll say that was right. So mine was, it was called Brother Joe, <laughs> and it was yes. called, uh, you know, about a guy sitting on the, the second row every Sunday, no one needs a church like Brother Joe. And I mean, I've got a full demo of it, and and so I write the other lyric to the same melody, and it's called "A Long Time Ago in a City Called Jericho." Where are you going to be when the walls come down? Oh my gosh! Yeah. And Don was producing, so it wasn't fair because he cut that song yeah. on y'all like a month later, and nobody ever heard Brother <laughs> well, Joe. Well, and yeah, yeah. I, I, there's no. We doubt can do it. That, I mean, we there, got we got time. Yeah, there was let's, a let's kind of, <laughs> there was a a distinct advantage, obviously. With me and my relationship with For Him because of the song, because of I was in that, and nobody, no other producer was really in that at that point. Now, uh, Omar would come, you know, he would get in the room ultimately, but he didn't necessarily start out that way. And I was still writing songs that Omar would produce. And that was a very difficult thing for me, but very advantageous to me because I was in the, I was the only producer in the room with Andy helping to choose the songs for the record. No other producer was doing that. We were choosing songs and then deciding what the other producers were going to do. Well, that that decision about which songs I would do was already made. It was like, <laughs> and I could pick the hits and go, I want to do this. But, but you had written the hits. But I had written, yeah, I had written written those songs. And one of my favorites that, that just really didn't go that, didn't go my way but it was the right way, and I had to let go of that song. Was Wings? Once I heard what Peter Wolf did with Wings, I I just went. I couldn't have done that. I just couldn't have done that. It was unique, and very yeah. unique. Yeah. And and I that's and, where and it, I will say it. The it, what's crazy is at the as we record this this episode, the podcast, um, that song went number one 28 years ago this week oh wow wow, wow. yeah wow well, it, i mean it's certainly one of my favorite songs and certainly it was if you really pull it apart it's a southern song it, it has southern but the track really changes everything yeah. and all of a sudden southern groups would listen and go why can't we be that cool <laughs> it's like why can't we be that cool and so it it really was a challenge for me to to write songs and try to secure the ones I felt like I would do the, the best on and then have to let go, you know, because I would only, in the very beginning, I would only produce three or four on a record 
and but I would write seven or eight or whatever it was, and and so you couldn't help the signature of me and for him growing at a greater pace than the other producers. You know, they did what they did, and but people would go, well, Don, you're the 4 a.m. guy. But that was so. also a season when Mark would just say, here are some ideas yeah. that we're going to cut. Correct. Let's write them. And, yeah. and, you know, that's a writer's dream. You, that industry doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. So there were some, there was a time uh, we went to, we were all in Estes Park. Yeah. And we were in a, a, a chalet looking down over the YMCA. And, and I had this idea that I just thought I'd been saving back and, and it was called, uh, 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 it was about how God always goes straight to the hurt. Mm. And so, you know, I'd save that back, and I, I kind of in my mind knew how we could get there. And about an hour after we started, we had a song done called Window with a View. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And in that song, there's a line, he always goes straight to the... But we were looking out this window over this just gorgeous mountain, and... It was just. It was just. It didn't matter. You know, wherever the song went, and yeah. and I don't know if you know the story about um, uh, basics of life. Do, do you know the backstory behind that? Mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of it, but maybe you'll tell me something I don't know here. So Cindy and I were about to have our tenth wedding anniversary, and and you know we way back in the early days, and we didn't have a lot of money because for him didn't sell as much as you know if they, if they had it, we'd had more money. Yeah, but, it's you all know, your I'm, fault. Yeah. Sorry. So I had heard somebody in Florida could get me onto an auction, audio auction lot. So I, Don and I go down to Mobile to start working on that record, but I've got a flight that I'm gonna leave and fly from there to Florida and buy a car and take it back for our anniversary. It was our 10th anniversary and- A Mercedes, by the way. It was an auction. You know, you could get a Mercedes cheaper back in that day. So, so it gets down. We wrote like two or three songs. It was a great trip. And it comes time, I'm, they're going to take me to the airport. And Don, Don Mark goes, God, can you stay just a few more hours? I said, I, I can't. I wish I could. They take me to the airport. They go back and write basics. <laughs> so for all these years, yeah. I, I, that's been the joke is how's that car holding up? <laughs> well, it's funny because... Uh, on Basics of Life, um, Dave spent money. Mark yeah. bought a house. I bought a pool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like it's like okay. And Dave spent money. He got a Mercedes, which yeah. is great. It was great. Yeah, it looked but, great for about a year. But I, yeah. <laughs> but I think this. I think from a thirty-five thousand foot view, the song with Dave in the room would have been a different song. It would have been a great song. Because Mark been better. Well, yeah. Mark was in the zone, and he was saying, beginning to say things lyrically in a different way than Dave was. Yeah. They're both great lines, but the vernacular was different. And Mark arrived at certain things, you know, that 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 Dave would have steered in slightly different direction. They both would have been good. But that's what I was saying earlier that. We were in the rooms at the right time, and some of us had to not be in that room. And the effect that that had, the success of that song had on Mark as a writer, in my opinion, looking looking out at it, was his confidence was huge. It grew huge. Yeah. And he was not not really apprehensive to say things the way he wanted to say it. But he knew his demographic, too. Yeah, he knew he knew what he was saying and who he was saying it to. And no matter what marketing guys at Benson or anywhere else decided what for him needed to be, 
the songs were defining what for him needed to be the 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 songs and the vocals and at the end of the day i wanted to make records for fans i wanted to make it for people who loved for him you know um you know it's every it's every artist's goal i think to have at least one career song i mean you had that one career song that people will remember the rest of their lives right so we had that with weather's faith and then you mentioned earlier about basics of life that was that was the career song. I mean, that's that's probably the one when you ask people if they remember for him. Right. They'll talk about basics of life because right. it's just such a touchstone moment. That, that one I didn't get to be a part of. Exactly. That's, right. that's correct. Exactly. But but, a not car. Bitter, but we did have a third career song, and that was um, for future generations. Yeah. So to have three career songs as an artist was at that point. I remember when that came out, and it and, and the success that he had that it had. I remember thinking at that point, I don't know where for him is going to go in the next 20 years, but we'll always have yeah. this bank of songs. Like we'll always right. have right. where there's faith, future generations and basics of life. And, you know, uh, we were, were mentioning before we came back here that um, you were talking about your health journey that you went through during that time. And a lot of the songs that you were writing and that we were part of kind of chronicled your journey in a way that people who never heard your story would not would not realize. And I want to, I would love for you to take us through some of that. You know, because I'm not a a singer or player or anything, but I always knew I I was supposed to write. That's why I left home when I was 17. And so, you know, I, I hear people talk about, well, I'm going to write for this artist or that artist. And they, so they try to become that person. And for me, it was always, yeah, they think they're telling their story. They don't know they're telling mine. I mean, I would, I would just, I would. That was the well I knew to draw water from was what I had lived. So, I leave home at seventeen. And I come down from Michigan by myself. I had the ugliest car in Michigan. It became the ugliest car in Nashville, all in one day. It was, and, and so you got this. There's no chance of of this working, but you can't run from a call either. So, did you may not know this, but you recorded my my biography. Which one? And if you go back and read the lyric, it says, Well, I've always been a bit of a dreamer, holding on to the hard to believe. Still, I struggle just to fathom or imagine what Jesus has waiting for me. It's not that I'm afraid, you know, but the danger will come if you wait. And and, and just over the horizon, it literally, if I had written out my story, you sang it, and, and it didn't matter that you knew it or not. So, so there were things in life that we were going through, and, and one of those, uh, you talked about future generations, and uh, Cindy and I just celebrated our, f- we'll celebrate 41 years in March. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, on her part. On her I mean, part, yeah. yes. But we were one of those couples that couldn't have a baby, and it's a pretty private hurt, and we, didn't, we hadn't shared it with our family, we, hadn't, we just didn't go there, you know. We knew all the jokes to make, and we knew how to hide it, and we found places to go on Mother's Day where we didn't have to be at church. And um, But we we were trying to write our story, and, and by then, for him, it had become like family to us. So we find out that about that time, Don and Leslie are going to have their first baby. And about the same time, we find out that Mark and, and Jody are going to have their first baby, and it was somewhere right in there that... Andy and Jackie were going to have their first baby. 
So I know I've got to write a baby song, but it was going to be tough. And we were headed down to Mobile, and I stopped by the mailbox, and there was a, a magazine, and I've still got the picture. I'll send it to you sometime. But it was a, it was a desk and a, a computer on a table, and a baby looking up in this light was coming out. And it had the, the scripture from Psalm about uh, paving the way for a, a future generation. And I'm not real smart, but I've, but I've always had an awareness of what moved me, and I've, I've learned to chase that and, and follow it and see where it leads. Something about that picture moved me, and I took it down, we showed it to Mark, and it was like, yeah, we, let's write that. We never got to it. So it, it's a few months later, Mark called, and it was back before cell phones, and he called me from an airport in Denver. He called, found a payphone, called and said, I can't get that picture out of my mind. Let's write a song called For Future Generations. And so we began to write it. About the time uh, y'all went in to record it, Cindy and I find out we're pregnant for our first baby. Mm -hmm. And my birthday is November 12th. That was the due date they gave us. And so we just knew that God was all over this. His timing was right. And I've never been a huge chart watcher, especially in the 90s when there was always something on there. I didn't want to get bogged down with that. But that was the single. And we started watching that thing go up the charts. And on, my dad was born November 7th, and my father-in-law was born November 9th the same year. They were two days apart. On November 8th of that year, um, our little baby girl was born, and she was named after both her grandmothers, born in the between her two granddad's birthdays. And it was the day that for future generation went number one in the country. Wow. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it's more than a chart, and it's more than what you sell, and it's more than... It's, it's saying, all right, God, we're trying to listen to what you're saying. And then his, his wink is to say, watch this. Hmm. So, yeah, I remember stories because they weren't just songs. And, and I'm not a big... I don't write a lot of story songs, but sometimes I almost think I can, I can listen to the radio and tell if a song was written just of a scheduled co-write, or if it was written out of a passion that came from a story. Because I think the stories drive the great songs, even when they're not story songs. I agree. And I, you know, it, the, the, the beauty of being able to look back now after so many years and to see the stories that were attached and how those have been lived out. I, I'll be honest with you guys, there are so many songs I sung because I wasn't in the writer's room. I was just handed a demo right. and, a, and a lyric sheet and, and they, you guys would say, or someone would say, we think you should be the lead on this. Yeah. Or I would hear and go, that's a great song. I want to sing that. Yeah. And had no other, you know, there's, I'll sing some of these songs today, 30 years later and go, wow, yeah. I, I, I finally walked through what that song was wow. talking about. Yeah. I finally understand what that song is talking about. And it just, it just, it helps me to know that God had our hand on us sure. through those years. They weren't perfect. We, we, you know, we all had our issues throughout that time. And, you know, if we could go back, we'd do a lot of stuff different, I'm sure. But just to know that God had his hand on it, yeah. and it's almost like he's winking at us and had his hand on our shoulder that right. whole time just going, right. I'm saying something through you. Yeah. And I know you're building careers here and you're doing the best you can, but um, I've got my hand on you and these songs are going to outlast you. Right. These songs are actually going to go beyond just you writing them or singing them in the studio or producing them or, yeah. or hearing them on the radio. 
And that's, again, that's why I love these conversations is because yeah. 35 years later, we can sit down and look back and go, wow, God, yeah. that well, was you, pretty you, incredible. You wouldn't expect in, in songs like uh, uh, Over the Horizon yeah. that that lyric would have incredible depth and come from something so serious and musically packaged in a very, very lighthearted way. And so those songs sneak up on you lyrically and they... You think you're just enjoying this song, but that the depth of that lyric is going into you, and it comes out 20 years later. You know, you notice something about that song, and that's what happens um, with songs like "Why" for me. "Why" to me is one of the greatest songs I've ever been able to be a part of. It pushed all of my buttons, and the thing is, it, it it's very rare that writers get to have an artist. Finish their sentence and become not only that artist's voice, but their own. My voice and my who I am and who Dave is are are wrapped all in these songs. They're you can't separate them, and people just don't know that they hear for him, and it, it it's just designed that way. They don't need you. You guys are the peep are are the ones that people see. You know, I like being behind the scenes. I yeah. like not being famous. I like people not knowing who I am, any of those things. I just wasn't called to that. I just... I, I, but there's also a thing of of trying to write for different levels of listeners, too. Right, right. And so you write it where it's got something catchy, and the first, that, that level that people right. just listen on the surface, mm-hmm. they get it. Right, yeah. And then they go back and they hear, ah. Yeah. And then they get, hopefully, that's hey, the goal. I'll remember, I just, just to be really honest with you guys, um, I remember the moment in For Him's career where I heard the songs that were being pitched... And I'm like, I feel like we're just writing for radio. Like right. We're just writing to try right. and get a single. And I right. didn't, like, it's not that the songs didn't have depth or they, they didn't mean something. But for me, I didn't feel that edge anymore. I didn't feel right. that. that and, and, you know, and honestly, Don, I mean, I, I'd love to talk about this and get your feelings on this. I know we moved on from you as a producer at a certain point, And mm-hmm. that was not... I mean that was a that was a difficult decision sure, for sure. for everybody involved and and I know that you know there were some things we had to say to one another through right. that time right. but again for us to be here 30 years later yeah. and be friends and still have this conversation Absolutely. you know you again you can see how God uh, really orchestrated that but sure. I do see you know we did some great stuff you know in the in the in the latter years before him but I think that once we weren't working with you as a producer right. and Dave wasn't as involved in the songwriting past that. Right. Um, I do, I do think there were, I, I kind of longed for that, I think. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Mark, hey, you tried to something. tell you, <laughs> you did. Tried to well, tell that's you. what I say. You know, you, you, you look back and you just go, yeah, could we have done things differently? Maybe, but you know, we wouldn't have been able to work as much with Michael and Marty, which ended right. up being a Correct. really great relationship. Yeah. And, and Mark Heimerman again, Correct. and those later years, Pete Kipley and, yeah. Um, you know, just some just some really awesome people, but that was to me, uh, as I look back in hindsight, it was just it just felt like it was deeper and, and yeah. had more yeah. had more depth to what we were trying to say when the when you guys were working with us. Yeah, well, and I think that God has amazing moments, incredible mountains, incredible valleys. You know, for us, He's, He signed off on everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's the truth of the matter. And I look at it and go, well, that I, in my older age, I understand the statement for a season. And so 
that's really was at was at play. Do you scrap and fight to not have that season end? Sure, absolutely. It's a part of of I didn't want my voice to end in that. You know what I mean? And so you, even if God has that, you, I'm not going cooperatively. You know, so it, you know I look back now on. There's it. your understatement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm fighting for what I love sure. and fighting for that, and. I, I look at it and go, okay, looking back on it, I go, okay, there are things that I I, just, I didn't need to be in the room anymore. I, I You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I didn't have an appreciation for that during those times. And I look at it and go, it, and I don't know if anybody knows this, but, but looking back at that, there is one producer that I wish for him would have been able to be produced by after me. And that is Brown Bannister. I wish Mm -hmm. that because I knew of Brown's work, I knew the personality, I knew all. It was like I was all full. I I hand off to that guy. You know what I mean? There there is a sense that he's so awesome. And I saw a larger portion of who I was as a producer, my style and what I do would be continued by a guy like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those those were just inter- interesting days and those better looked back on than yeah. in the moment for sure. <laughs> but um you know I, I you know I was when you look at the totality of For Him's career I got to be a part of a pretty large portion of that. And honestly and, and I, I look at it now because I help run a record company now, and I look at that and go, we're forever chasing singles. And I can go down that list and go, that song would never have made the record, neither would that one, neither would that one, neither would that one. And that is a shame in our present day mm-hmm. that our story becomes like turning on K-Love. That's what our concerts are like. You just turn on K-Love, and that's what everybody looks for. But I know, and for him, the depth of an artist has to be far greater than that. To what are you going to sing to bring him to the altar? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what are you going to do? The well, story. That was, yeah, that was one of the things that we were very, very adamant about every time we did a concert. Right. We were going to do an altar call. Right. And give the plan of salvation and right. give people an, an opportunity to respond. And so right. that seeped into. Songs. The songs we wanted yeah. to sing because it yeah. was going to be sure. a narrative throughout every concert right. to bring people to that point where we could preach the gospel, yeah. and and that you know we never lost that, but we were always chasing that with every every producer we worked with right. and every and and you know not every producer wanted that. I mean we, we did work with producers that were they didn't catch that vision, yeah, and those relationships didn't they didn't yeah. span the test of time. Uh, well, we did try to hire Brown. A couple of times, yeah, yeah, and it almost worked out. I know we did yeah. one song with him. Yeah, I think it was on the hymns and no, my utmost for his highest. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, was, that was me. Streams in the desert. Yeah, streams. In That's the what desert. it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was. Uh, he's a he's a freak, a, a yeah, yeah. production freak. Yeah. He's just amazing. Yeah, we just, we always he was always on our bucket list and just never really worked out. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but but beyond for him. You had a career. I mean, I don't want to just talk about for him. I mean, you had a pretty massive career. There was more to life than for him. Well, you would think. Um, But I mean, what? So after the success of that first for him album, yeah, yeah, you 
I mean, you've made your mark. Sure. And now, sure. You, you know, you don't have to wait on us to get back in the studio. Yeah. What was what was the natural progression after that for you as a producer? Well, there was a huge turning point that really didn't necessarily happen as a producer. It happened as a writer. Everything in my production career has started in the writer's room. Very little of it has been, hey, Don, you're a hotshot producer. We need to hire you. No People hired me as a producer to get me to concentrate on their artist as a songwriter. That really was because they saw for him benefit by that. And But I was very protective. I had a chance to produce New Songs record. I know Benson came to me and said, hey, and, and I remember Ken Pennell asked me, hey, you know, would you consider doing it? And I, I said, no, I won't, I won't do that. Now, people have said that was a very foolish decision for you to make because you need to produce everything and anybody. But I was just so protective of that and going, hey, I don't, I already have a signature that I do and it's with for him. But after after that first record, the songwriter room for sure, I helped pen a song called In Christ Alone. And that mm. changed yeah. my life as a songwriter. Even with all the hits that we had as, as you know, for him and, and my collaboration there, Something about In Christ Alone, when Michael English cut that song, it was life-changing. And it, people, the phone rang going, hey, we need, we want to, we want you to work on our project. And the problem was that they didn't want me to do anything new. They just wanted me to write another In Christ Alone. Yeah. And and that, that, that happened. And that was... Yeah, that's a lot of how the record industry Correct. Works. Yeah, you're just chasing the thing that's popular right now. Correct. Or, or what was popular two years ago. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and here's the thing is, this is a lesson for writers in general and record companies, everybody. If you write for what radio is looking for right now, by the time Too that great. song hits... Radio will have changed. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, okay, it, it, even if you're still on the charts, you know, everybody goes, well, write, write a song like Zach Williams. Well, current, that was good then and probably right now, but it's going to change. Yeah. And it's it, so, but it's normal for, for writers to, in the record companies and publishers to look at what the charts are now and go, I need another one of those. And, the thing that made for him amazing is there wasn't another for him, and nobody was trying to sign another for him. And I don't. I, I we keep funneling back to for him, yeah, which is what I'm trying that. to get away from. But you, one of the things that I really I tell the story a lot was um, I tell people that don't remember uh, Christian bookstores that back in the in the in the warehouse area of the Christian bookstore there yeah. would be this chart up on the on the wall that says mm. if you like. Yeah. This secular band, try this Tr- artist. Try this, yeah. If you like this secular band, wow. try this artist. If you like this secular artist, try this artist. For him, was never on the list. That's right. And I took a lot of just a personal pride wow. in that, just yeah. to go. I don't feel like we're copying anybody. I feel like we're 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 as original as we can be. And there's mm-hmm. nobody that sounds like us that was before. Now we were chasing that old imperial sound, right? Like that, right. you know, for one sure. more song for you and priority. Yeah, for sure. That was our standard that we always looked for vocally. But beyond that, man, it was, you know, our influences were the, you know, the Eagles and, 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 uh, the Bee Gees and right. those kinds of artists like that. But we all came at it from such different 
viewpoints as yeah. as singers that you really couldn't pinpoint our sound in anywhere else. Right. Well, and I do remember, and again, I, I'm sorry to steer us back to For Him all the time, <laughs> uh, but uh, you are in the room. Uh, it's easy to look at you and steer it right back there. Um, I remember an A&R meeting we had, and everybody walked in with different records. And um, it, it, it's like, this is what we were talking about, what's the next thing? And it was like, and all these records that, that were influences and I remember saying in that meeting, I love all that, but here's the last record. All we got to do is do something a bit more, take the next step there. Yeah. All these other artists, that's great. Those are called influences, but this is where we're going. This was this was the road we were on. Now let's just keep going down that road and God will orchestrate that and, and tell us what what we need to do. Sure. But it, that's not very good record company talk. That's really not. <laughs> record companies just, you know, they're trying to chase everything, you know? And and it's great, but it's all about the now. And it, it's like, let's capitalize on whatever's happening right now. Yeah. And for Future Generation was a classic example of that was probably from some vantage for him's biggest song and or one of the most popular songs right. were there right. was that song and i remember um benson benson at that point they were they were trying to look at that song differently it's like you're trying to make this something like the backstreet boys or something or something no it's not going to be that it's this is a church song this is what this is and honestly had for future generations come out four, three years, four years ago, when multicultural and multi generational things were going on and being talked about in the church, that would have been the biggest song on the planet. Yeah, I agree. Because that's what Basics of Life was. Mm -hmm. Basics of Life came out at a time where the church was dealing with that very subject, and it escalated everything. Sorry, part oh, two. It's okay. Well, yep. you know what? I, and I, this is one of the things I thought about when I was coming to this meeting or this, this, this conversation was that we never, the, it, this collection never won song of the year. Right. And right. I, you know, plenty of awards, plenty of accolades. Yeah. I, we, don't, we don't need that, but man, for basics of life and future generations right. not to win song of the year, yeah. I think yeah. we're, especially future gen. I remember, I remember some, some things yeah, about that for moment. Sure. Um, I, I <laughs> we don't need to get into yeah. really. And we all have uh, everybody was opinions. trying to make that song win. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, does that does that is that regret for either of you guys? I mean, that you know, there's there's one time. I, I if I had early on said, okay, my goal is to win X amount of Devil Words. I'd, I'd have walked away discouraged because I, I never won until just a couple of years ago. Wow, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. never, never won. Incredible. Just a couple of years ago for a musical, and and even that, I was like, you know, after all these years, God's blessed it, God's confirmed the call, but there was one night I wanted to win, and we were at the at the opera house, and my mom and dad were coming, and my sister and her husband. And they walked in, and we were down on the floor, and I saw them come in in the balcony, and they sat down on the seats that got up on the front row of the balcony. And, the, and it was a year that, that you thought that might win, and, and they got up and announced it, 
And I told my mom and dad, don't, and if you're coming just to see, I want you to come to the show if you want to be there, but don't come expecting to win because that's, oh, no, we're, we're fine. So they come in, they sat down as they're given the first award, the first award of the night was Song of the Year, and it went to Jesus Freak. And I looked up, and they all four got up and just, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, yeah, gosh, wow. I would have loved that for them that night. But wow. yeah. honestly, I, I've been in enough meetings in the back rooms, and I'm not saying it's rigged. I'm saying that, that you can shift the sure. attention to one or another, and it yeah. just never was that big a deal to me. Well, you look at even, you know, we, we look at, I don't know if you're the same way, but I look at like the Oscars and Golden, you know, you watch right. or the Grammys right. or anything, you watch yeah. it, and you never really see the, the albums that you expected to win you, yeah, you know sure. that there's an industry bias yes. and there's consideration and there's sure, there's all that stuff that you know all the inside stuff that's gonna yeah you know you try I, not to think about it yeah artists, and you just just sure. go make your music and if the people yeah. love it then you've done your job if well and cool part it. of it i think the devil words are really there's interesting stories of, you know and again jesus freak when jesus freak won the song of the year mm -hmm. uh i was up for in christ alone in the same category and I lost to Jesus Freak. Well, what happened the following year was the conservative crowd, which Jesus Freak did not fit the kind of right. song that would win Song of the Year. Yeah. It was really dramatic change. And so the conservatives came out like crazy voting for In Christ Alone the next year. Well, In Christ Alone was not the song of that next year. It was the song of the of the year that Jesus Freak won. That yeah. was when it was at the height of its popularity. Yeah. But that's all, you know, it, it, it is odd to me to have as, as many number one songs and involvement with for him and that particular category scape. Mm -hmm. And in Christ Alone went on to win three Song of the Year categories. And it, it that amazed me. That was like it kept getting cut again and again. And I thought, wow, that, that's really interesting. As a publishing, from a publishing perspective, that's really great. But again, looking back at For Him going, okay, why didn't that happen with a lot of those songs? Why didn't everybody else cut it? And I have chosen to look at that going, because nobody can do it that good. Mm. Wow. Well, but there's also the wow. thing, too, that if, if you'd have told us back then that some of those songs, like Strange Way yeah, and, sure. and Crucified with Christ and... Right. We'd be talking about them thirty years later. I I tend to, and maybe this sounds awful to me, to say out loud, but I don't know that younger writers that that's their goal. I think I think can this work this Sunday, and that that's great, that's fine, and it does. Right. And I hear a lot of stuff, and I go, that awesome, that's great today. I probably won't hear that again next year. Right. And, and our generation is quick to say, well, that's a standard. And you go, well, no, we really can't determine that. That's for those who come behind us to say that was a standard. Yeah. But we're so quick to define. And back then, we were writing songs going, man, this is going to be around for a while. And, and the fact that we're sitting here talking about some of those, that was beyond our control. But we, we, we always tried to make it something that had a better chance uh, we were in a session a while back, and, and we were cutting, uh, I, I think it was, maybe it was Crucified with Christ on a print project, and the players didn't know that, that I had been a part of that. They, yeah. And they were, oh, I remember the song, Phillips, and they rattled off the producer, they rattled off who the players were on the session, and I'm thinking, how cool is that, that these guys remember something that happened right. 25, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. 
and and you know what the I don't know if you're going to get into this or not, but Don's been through some pretty rough stuff physically this year. It was I was in in the room where we're sitting now, and I called Don on the way that morning, and I said he didn't answer the phone, which is not uncommon, you know, because I'm not really a big deal. But I screen my calls, and and so he picks I, up every time I call. Huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, I leave a message and said, "Hey, just wanted you to know that it was uh, 30 years ago today that why went number one." Mm-hmm. Wow. And and that was written out of my physical journey that, that y'all lived through with me. So I get here, and I'm sitting just at the desk and, and behind this glass here, and I get a text that says, from Don, it says, I got your message, we need to talk, and it's not about business. Hmm. And um, I stepped out on that sidewalk right out in front of where we are today, and he told me that he'd just gotten the news that... Uh, I'll, I'll let you tell it, but yeah. but I mean again. Now, what was written out of my journey, we're celebrating a milestone of that, and now we've got. Now Don's got to live, what was written thirty years ago. Yeah. So Don, I I, w- I would love for you if you feel comfortable, share, share with our listeners what you've been going through the last few years. Yeah, um, I. Last May, I think, of 2022, um, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Um, it was really after they had been treating me for pneumonia, and nothing was really working. And so, you know, they, I had to go in for CT scans and things like that, which, you know, I hate all those machines, by the way. Um, I have greater respect for people who have to climb into those stupid machines. But... Um, you know, I met, we got an oncologist, and I met, and the first words out of this oncologist's mouth is, yeah, you have stage four lung cancer, and you will not survive. Wow. And so there was no talking about it. There was, like, everything. I said, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm a man of faith. I, I, All of those that came back, you won't survive. And a very small percentage of surviving. So the lung cancer had metastasized into my brain. So I had a tumor in my brain, on my spine, and and tumors in my lungs. So it is probably the greatest, the hardest journey that I have obviously ever been through. I don't, up to that point, I don't spend, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about dying or thinking that life was so fragile or anything like that. I'm too busy living life, and I think a lot of people are at that, and. Uh, didn't truly get a snapshot of Dave's difficulty that he had to overcome and God healed him. But I still, I saw that dimly. I was like, oh, yeah, that that's cool. That's that's cool, Dave. I mean, you know, I understood a, a yeah. little bit, but now I get it. Now I truly get it. And you just, it changes who you are. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh Long story short, it's, you know, it's almost February 2023, and I am cancer-free. Wow. And uh, there's nothing in my nothing in my brain other than the brain. <laughs> I'm not very intelligent. I still have that same brain. But uh, there's no tumors in the brain. And I, actually, I'm on this uh, this study. They, they do this trial with this pill. And I almost got kicked out of the study because they couldn't find cancer. And so wow. 
but I need this pill in order to have cancer not come back in its present form. And, you know, it does make me look at things very, very different. I am not, I've never been a gigantic man of faith. I'm not towering in faith. You know, I'm I'm a doubter. I'm a worrier. I'm all of all of those things, and which makes you a great artist. Yeah, well, <laughs> and as a writer, you have to wear your feelings on your sleeve so you can get to them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a horrible thing to happen when you're sick. So, um, and it, it was a really there was you know I radiation, chemo, immuno, all the unos. I've I've had them all, and so and I know Dave came to came to visit me at the house when I was right in the middle of that. And uh, he told me later, after, you know, that he thought that would be the last time that he would see me. Wow. Yeah, and sure. I certainly looked, probably looked like that, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, I didn't lose all my hair or anything, just just a few patches. So I looked like a wet raccoon, you know, <laughs> just, it was terrible. You said that day, you may not remember it, but you, you said... If I get through this, yeah, you're going to want to be in the room with me when we write. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It just changes yeah. everything, and it has changed everything for my family, for me, all of those things. My my son Carson, my youngest, he really, really internalized a lot, and we found out later he truly thought I was going to die. That was the end, and just and I just found out that recently. I didn't I didn't realize he was carrying it that that deep you know so but it it definitely changes the way i look at songs at i look at time i look at my family i look at the industry i look at i think of everything as precious and 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 everything is fragile and you better pay attention and so i i look at that that way i've never been this person who's been an amazing at maintaining relationships, I'm terrible at it. I really am. It's just like I'll wake really? up. I'll wake up a year later and go. You know, I haven't talked to him, and I just called him a really good friend in a conversation the other day. And it it it's just my way. I am. I'm a. I'm a fairly internal guy. You know. I'm. You know. So there's a lot more going on than people think. Well, I remember. I remember we had a bunch of us had gathered. Yeah. At the Bluebird Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Several months ago. Yeah. Uh, to, and you were there, and you know we were. Everybody was uncertain about your right about your diagnosis and right, where this right. is all heading. And so we all gathered, and it was a beautiful time, of of these artists that you had helped launch and yeah. steer their careers yeah. as a producer and a songwriter, yeah. and just singing these songs again. Yeah. And I remember someone praying over you. Yeah. Oh, saying yeah. there you're you're gonna be healed. My Carlin. And yeah, it was my that's Carlin. right, it was my yeah. Carlin and said there are more songs. Be re- you will write songs yeah. out of this. Do you remember that visual of every room, every every hand yeah. in the room reaching yeah. toward Don and his mm-hmm. family and you go, you know what? God God had his hand in there too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I honestly I I can I can promise you I would not be alive now without people praying for me. Wow. I, I just and have I earned any of that? No, absolutely None not. None of us have. The challenge no. with cancer and the toughest part about cancer is not what you're going through. It's what you see. You go into this room and you see other people and they look like they're dying. I, I didn't really look at that point like I was dying. Uh, well, that's arguable. But um, I didn't look like that person. 
and I would go in for radiation, and there's, there would be this old man on this gurney, and he was there every single time. And I watched him just go Shut away. Down. And it, it was it was it was unbelievable. You can't unsee those things. So you you carry that with you and you kind of go through this process process. I'd had people that I knew who had cancer and they died and they didn't make it. I did. And it it, it kind of messes with your head. You kind of go Okay, I don't want to overthink this, but but why am I alive and they're not? And you know all of those things that as on this side of heaven, all those questions that come. So I bring all of that into the writer's room, and I I go okay. I'm supposed to do what I've been gifted to do. That's the only reason that I can put to why I'm here. So I'm going to do it better than I ever have, and I'm going to give it more than I ever have. You so know, we've so, been the last. What three months? Yeah, almost a day a week, just yeah. sitting in that room. He and I yeah. writing with nobody in mind, and the, it's we've had a ball. We've written things that I absolutely love. We may never get cut. I don't care. Yeah, it's been right. Yeah, it, it's important to for writers to say things, not say things because someone else is going to come along and want to say those to the huge public. The writer just needs to say them. Yeah, and I I got a lot to say. And that's what's, you know, that's what's different about me from the previous. I was just a melody writer, a composer in the early days of For Him. And I have always said, I don't care what you say in a song. I really don't. <laughs> have you listened to my music? I've, I've know, heard your lyrics, and yeah, I, I can vouch yeah, for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but now I care. I care deeply. I don't want to write unnecessary songs. And my, the beginnings... There's a lot of unnecessary songs to get to the things that you you know were there, and honestly, I can say the thing the songs that I value deeply are not necessarily the ones that were the most popular. Mm. Not not at all. I remember Dave and I wrote a song called "Quiet Answers" that my mother my mother decided she was going to sing something, and so she sang this song "Quiet Answers," and, and it is and put on the CD. Mm. All songs written by my son. That was literally what the credit. That's right. I'm thinking, hey, she's got a bunch of our songs. Nope, it was like they were all written by Just her son. Me. Yeah. So, and and you know, my mother, my mother met Greg Long uh, at a concert one time, and she said something similar. She said. Ah, I just love the songs that my son has written for you. <laughs> and he, and he wrote, co-wrote the songs. Spoken it's like a mother. Oh, my gosh, Mom. Thanks oh for that. Oh, my gosh. And now you're with Red Street Records. Yeah. Our friend Jay DeMarcus, who you produced yeah. his original band. Yeah, East to West. Yeah. And that was right at the kind of kind of at the crest where for him was crest, for, right at the top. Right. And then this, this duo, East to West, which... I found and helped create, and they were, you know, I called Jay on a on a hallway dorm phone because I heard something he did, and I called him and said, "Hey, I I, I love this. Are you? I want to I want to work with your band." And it was not a band; it was just him and his, his roommate saying it. And I said, "Well, you want to be a band?" <laughs> so I got him a record deal, and uh, they were on their way, you yeah. know. But but. The story of Jay DeMarcus is incredibly interesting. You guys know Jay as oh, well because yeah. he yeah. was East to West was on the road at times, yeah, yeah before mm-hmm. him. And so, you just don't know what that the birth of that is going to lead to. I mean, 
you I never saw anything that would have said he's going to be in one of the biggest country bands on the planet and he was and and he did he the 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 Christian career kind of came to an end and he became a part of Rascal Flats. And I remember being on the golf course with him. Yeah. Just when when he had made that decision, I'm going to leave yeah. Nashville and right. I'm going to go write with my cousin. Right. And we're going to write country music. And I'm yeah. like, well, good luck with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no one ever dreamed that, that his cousin was Gary LaVox. I right. mean, who, who would have dreamed of that? Yeah. I mean, so, and again, 20 years later, the guy, I mean, is a superstar. And so I had left Nashville a number of years ago and I went to a mega church in Houston and learned that I really don't want to be at a mega church. <laughs> so, wow. uh, but I, I love, I love that church. I love that pastor. I love, they were, I loved being a part of the worship team that my favorite thing about being there was every Sunday I got to play and look left and there's 3,000 people and there's four services. And it, it just, it, it speaks, it talks, mm-hmm. you know, and I needed to get away from Nashville to hear those voices again, mm-hmm. and I did. But Jay would call me after his big dates, you know, at some arena, and he's on his bus, and he calls me at 1 o'clock in the morning, dude, we got to do something, man. God's talking to me, man. We got to do something, man. We got to start a record company. It's like, dude, I'm at a church. I mean, and he would keep on and on and on. And so we finally took a swing at that. So, um, yeah, I helped, I helped run a record company. And um, I I started as the president of the company and found out very quick that I really don't like HR meetings <laughs> and employees and all that kind of stuff. I just want to write songs and yeah. sign artists. So I've been blessed to be in, in that, and that's what I'm doing now. And But you've sat in more record company meetings through the years. Oh, yeah. An inordinate amount of meetings for yes. a guy that was not a record company label right. employee. I, yeah, I really cared, actually. I was one of those writers that really wanted to know how things were done. A lot of writers don't. No, you you know. want to tell them how they should be done. Well, I thought, <laughs> th- yes, that's true. Once I learned how it was done, I would tell them how badly they're doing it. And, and you know what? And I look at it and go, I learned what what groups like For Him should know. They should know what's going on. Yeah. They should know what yeah. their record company is doing and how they're doing it, the reasons they're doing it, all of those things, so they can have a very clear picture about partnering with somebody and you and it's their ministry. It was all about for him's ministry. What God called for him to do. I'm just coming in to help. I'm a helper of that. And you have to be very careful how who you let in to work in your ministry. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know what I mean. And yeah. <laughs> and and record companies. God love them. I mean, I, I help run one. I mean, we monetize and make money off of music, and I'm very aware of that, but I also ve- I'm very aware of how our hands are on ministries, precious, precious ministries. So I have this Hippocratic Oath kind of vibe about me. Hippocrite you know? what? Yeah, d- do no harm, <laughs> do no harm, only good. You, you, you advance the careers and the ministries, and so, you know... I'm having fun. It, there's a lot of freedom there. I, I'm, I'm able to lead a publishing company and an A&R company. And, 
Um, so I, I love it. I look, again, I look for the next for him. That's wow. really what I do. I wow. look for that. And I look for the next east to west. And I look for whatever it may be. I, my eyes are set. And again, I was schooled on groups like you. Wow. You know? Well, you so. guys have had such good long careers that don't show any signs of slowing down. And you, Dave, just had a milestone. You we, you and I were at coffee. You and I, Mark Harris, I think were at coffee a few years ago. And uh, you you had a dream, and you achieved it just not long ago. Somebody achieved it on my behalf. But well, yeah, we, well, you had to be a part of it. I've been very blessed with some, some great co-writers. And... and the the five decade thing was uh we we you know i didn't come here with a goal of doves or anything like that but i wanted to be here a long time and that meant never being the guy nobody wanted to push off the mountain you know i, I was uh don and i found a, a groove early on and um and when joseph habedank is the artist and, and i i told you that 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 might happen if it happened any time in this ten year span. That that would be something that I'm not a party guy, but I, I want to have a party and celebrate that. And and I, it was because I wanted, it, and I, it's not the faults, whatever. I, but my kids weren't born when a lot of those songs. They know the songs, yeah. but they don't know the impact of the songs. And so the reason I want to do a party and celebrate it, and we're going to do it. I think in March of this year, we're going to. I, well, to clarify, you've had a number one song on the Christian music charts in five different decades. decades. Yeah. yeah, 80s, the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now 2020s. It's incredible. It, well, you don't you don't think about that. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is my first label cut was in the 70s. Wow. It just wasn't a single. Shame on them. I mean, I mean I'm kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, the, so when Joseph... Called and said it was a song Don Don I wrote with Joseph just like the first song was, um, and he said hey we're number one. I was sitting there in the living room. My my youngest daughter was there with me, and, and, and I started crying. I didn't realize that I felt I knew it might happen at some point. And she said what's the matter? And I, I said you know I told her and I said you know I wanted so bad to leave your kids something that was rare and significant. And she said don't you think you already have? And I, mm-hmm. I got in the car and I started driving. I didn't know where I was going to end up. And I, about a half hour later, I wasn't planning on it, but I was standing at my dad's grave and just knowing that he was my champion and um, he would he would have loved that moment. It's not a thing that you go, well, look how much money or look at the stuff on the wall. It's a sign that God called me to do something. And the other thing, when you celebrate something like that, you go, well, that means I never really took a day off either. And you, we wrote them out by the decades, and and like mm-hmm. there were like nineteen of them in an eight-year span in the nineties with for him and Philip Craig and Dean, and, mm-hmm. and you, you look at the list, and then when I became a publisher, it slowed down to there were only like two with Karen Peck in in the last decade, and you go, I I had to pick and choose my writing time. But you had a hand in developing other songwriters and that helping was, them to was, go yeah, on the yes. journey that you've been on all this time. Yeah, because yeah. I, I wanted to, like Don talked about, he wanted to teach artists what they should know. Yeah. My goal is I never had that, that mentor. To, yeah. to I wanted to be the one to say to young writers, hey, you can reach higher yeah. than what you're reaching for. I don't think any of us did, really. 
Yeah. It was kind of the Wild West out there back in the day. Yeah, I mean, sure. There was a lot of there was a lot of opportunity, and there were you know there were a lot of great pieces floating around as far as individual talent that you know kind of collected together and made really Man. great art. Yeah. But we there were all finding it. We were, yeah. And so there wasn't really this collective or you know coaching and mentoring is a big thing right now. It's what I do. Yeah. And I you know, I've got seven artists that I'm working with right now that are hoping to get deals and and have their career in Christian music and the greatest joy I have. Have I have I heard them? We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. After. We'll talk. Can we'll I have talk. their publisher? Can I have their publisher? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but one of the great joys I have is meeting with them on a regular basis just to yeah. just to me to unload all of this knowledge yeah. and this this career advice just to go your career's not going to look anywhere like mine was it and shouldn't but here are some things that are always going to be the same yeah. and look out for this and guard your heart against that and yeah. this isn't what you think it's going to be and and if yeah. if you'll continue to do this more often than this you'll have a greater chance of yes, success yeah. you know and you know one of the things that that i'm grateful for and not everybody gets this is that the three of us are going to leave a legacy for our not only our children but our grandchildren sure. and our great grandchildren and it's not a monetary thing it's right. it's my kids and my grandkids and my great grandchildren will hear my voice yeah. They'll hear my voice on recordings, and they'll say right. they, they didn't have tuning back then because yeah. <laughs> they didn't need it. They didn't need it like that's, they do that's now. Exactly uh, right. But they'll have Dave. They'll have yeah. your lyrics, Don. They'll have your lyrics and your and your yeah. and your but, your musical creation. They'll have things that you know. But what I want them to have are the stories. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're here today. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's because it, because we've all talked, I mean, and I love the stories. If we don't tell them. You know, nobody's going to know. I, I, I looked at a song. Do you know the song, Where the Roses Never Fade? Mm, yes. Old country. The old country song. So uh, I stumbled across that in a book this week, and it says the writers are Elsie, Jim, and Jack. That's what it says on the music. No last names. Mm, wow. So I start calling people who would have known that catalog, saying nobody is alive that I've found yet. And I've called the people that would know. Nobody knows why those writers didn't use their last names. Yeah. It, it may not matter. It may never matter. But I want to tell those stories yeah. so that my kids have them. Um, and, and I want to tell them with the people that were part of the stories. Yeah. And I think the kind of music that we wrote um, – Back, let me say, back in the day. I hate that statement, but back, back in the day. Wow. Yeah. No, <laughs> so uh, there it is. There it is. I put it out there. Oh, my gosh. So um, uh, the kinds of songs we wrote back then are not the kinds of songs that are being written today. And what I mean by that is when you write a song about a roller coaster and you say something spiritual inside of that, you need to explain that somehow <laughs> in the future. There's a story a that goes ball. with it. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the worship movement has changed how we say things. There, there was a freedom that we had back then that, you know, Wayne Watson wrote about watercolor ponies on a refrigerator door that his kids colored. I mean, there was great adventure dive all of those songs that there was a you had to have a freedom to be able to do that and you got a very good glimpse of the kind of artist that that artist was and it was like their story 
And now, and I love the worship music movement, but it's pointed us to write the same kinds of songs yeah. the same way. And I'm grateful that I get to know God more, the identity of God in those songs. But I have become strangers to the artists who sing them because there's no dive, there's no great adventure, there's no roller coaster. There's those, and I, I'm wanting to help bring some of that back to where the stories of who we are. And again, the people who are still telling those stories are people in Southern Gospel. They lyrically tell those stories. Yeah. There's, there's some freedom there. And again, this is not a, a, a diss to the worship music movement, which I love what that has been able to do, especially for the church, because I love songs and I love the church. And that's been fantastic. But I think the identity of who our artists are is crucial because I know my son grew up admiring and wanting to be certain Christian artists. You guys are one of them. And it's like, oh, where's that? Is that, where's that connection? You know? So I, I think we're just at an interesting time in, in how music is being created and how, what kind of songs artists are singing and things like that. I, I look forward to another Jesus Freak. I really do. I look forward to it. Wow. I want to have that freedom. That freedom should be there for our artists to create. So, well, that might be a great place to end it. Yeah, that's a really good, good wrap up. I kind of wanted wait, to talk. I kind of can end it endorsing another person's song. That's true. <laughs> which we might not. We might a little do a little dendum here because I did. I did want to take. I know we've been talking almost for two hours now, yeah, so sorry. I want to wrap it up. But um, I do want to bring up. Every year, right around Thanksgiving, I get I get texts, I get Facebook messages, I get I get people stopping me at church or in a restaurant even going, guess what? Guess what album I'm listening to right now? Yeah. It's one of our family's favorites, that Season of Love album, right. our only Christmas album, which I can't believe. Yeah, we had the career we had and only did one, one Christmas, Christmas album, yeah. which probably wasn't smart, but. At least we've got that one. Yeah. I look back on that personally, and it's just, it's just been, again, I can't tell you how many people that I know in my life or reach out to me say, I grew up on that album. Our yeah. family plays it every Christmas. It's part of our Christmas tree decoration yeah. time. And they, the songs, they know all the lyrics to all the songs. It's, a, it's, it's just a time capsule for people in the family. We all have those albums, right, that, in our lives. But I look back at that as one of my favorite times working with you yeah um and and i look i'm i'm sure my hindsight my hindsight is tainted but um i i remember you and i working on those vocals a lot yeah. just you and me yeah because sure. mark was busy doing he was kind of our doing he, mark stuff he was doing mark stuff well he was yeah. he was he was we didn't have a manager yet right which is crazy think about Right. One of those days, right. but he was kind of our acting manager, so he was doing record company stuff, and a lot was going on then. Marty was about to get married, so he was in and out doing um, just just doing a lot of stuff to get ready for that. And then Kirk was Kirk. Kirk, yeah, Kirk, I love <laughs> yeah, you, and you I know you're going to hear this, <laughs> but I remember, I just remember to me wow. that was that would that was that was one of my favorite moments in the studio. We're creating those vocals for that Christmas album, yeah. And I remember you and I we, we worked really hard on yeah, that. We and, sure did. Um, and I remember um, we hadn't we hadn't done a lot of the vocals before uh, Ralph Carmichael came in, right? 
and laid down that orchestra. Right. And I remember hearing the orchestra going down. We, he may put that on like five, four or five songs. Yeah. It was all we could afford to bring right. him in with. Right. But I remember going, oh, no. How are we going to fit vocals around this stuff? Yeah. Absolutely. Like there was panic at yeah, first because absolutely. such intricate yeah. string arrangements. Yeah. They were like, where are the vocals going to go? We're a vocal group. There has to be vocals on top of this. Yeah. And after the terror subsided, we got to work. And I just... I just wanted to bring that record up because it yeah. is it is I think one of the things that I'm most proud of that we ever did. Yeah, it's a great record. Well, I I I'm thrilled to hear that. I I hold that record in high regard. I it is the only record that I had full control of as a producer. Yep. And uh, that was not lost on me. I, I the, the trust that it would take at that point and for a multiple producer relationship that we've always had, which I believed in. It was like, okay, but I know I can do this. This is right in my wheelhouse, and I love Christmas. And, and you know, a lot of the decisions had been made about that record or, the, yeah, about that particular record musically before Strange Way of to, to Save the World had even made its appearance. And, um, but it, you know, I think that vocally my goal was to make the greatest vocal record I could make. And... Uh, and even in a situation where Carl, uh, uh, he the orchestration filled up every single hole, yeah, it <laughs> so did. it's just like, how do we do this? <laughs> and so it was, it had to be amazing vocally. And I do remember, I think we, I know I blocked a place called the Bennett House to track mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, I I think Benson was pressuring me to bring in. LA players to not you know and so I I booked this big famous drummer um, and came in to play oh, I remember to, that yeah, that was track. the Christmas album correct and yeah. he came in at the Bennett house like big name oh big name you're not going to um, name the name no I'm not going to okay, name okay I'm just checking <laughs> and I'm a huge fan okay I can tell of this guy <laughs> but in in a completely different genre but I was pressured by the label to, to do that because you know, marketing people go, oh, well, we need this name to sell a record. And as a producer, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, you know, so I want the best player to do this. So, I I mean, this guy was expensive and flew him in first class. It was crazy. Who was it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we played the entire day, and I ended up keeping absolutely nothing yeah. that he did. And I called a first call player friend of mine in Nashville that I trusted that I would have called from the beginning. He came in and just nailed it that fast because he knew what this was. It was not trying to become something else. And I kept going, I'm not going to make a spiritual thing about this, but the the phrase unequally yoked comes to mind here. (laughs) You know, it's like, this doesn't fit, you know? And so there was a, a lot of that because I had full control of that record, it was like, okay, it's all on me. I'm going to get blamed if this is not right. And so the trick was all about vocals. It was like, I want more tracks than we've ever had before. I want more parts. I want more of everything. And I do remember camping out at Classic, I think it was the name of the studio. Yeah. And we just camped out there and just sang and sang and sang and sang. And that was where we got to be able to do things that we we really wouldn't have done in other 
things in other records. Like we would go, okay, Andy, sing this part. Now sing another part, Andy, another as if it were somebody else in the group. Yeah, but got, you sang it yeah. again. It got crazy. It got crazy. It really it did. It really did. Yeah. And it was just like and I always knew that we had invented the phrase, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I, I, we really did. We really wow. did. We defined it. Yeah. Um, and we really further defined it on that record in and an made, amazing yeah, way. Yeah, and made sure nobody else wanted to ever sing that That's again. right. That's yeah. right. We killed it. <laughs> we, we killed it. We milked sure. everything out of it for so, sure. So let me ask you all a question. Yeah. Would you have dreamed at that point, Strange Way would still be getting cut? No, no. I didn't think that was the hit of the yeah. record. Yeah, no. I, I thought it was a really good song. I thought um, I, I thought it was a great closer, but there was a lot of whiz bang all over the record mm-hmm. that was so great. I mean, even one of the, the I think that most ep, one of the most epic things that we did. You sang. I mean, it was like your tune. Um, it was a remake of. Gosh, now I can't remember. Was the it, well, there was Drummer Boy. Um, there was. Um, oh, we did we did that medley. That Gen- really gentlemen, cool. gentle- Oh, uh, God rest you, Mary Jane. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, that was Kirk actually. Okay, God rest <laughs> but, you, Mary Jane. But I came on the end. I was you always coming in end. on the end of those yeah. things because you kept kicking the. Yeah, nobody could sing that. You kept high. kicking the 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 uh, the keys up higher and higher. I'm like, well, I'm last yeah. man standing here. Well, and part of it was. I love the fact you sang like a girl. You know, it was like, okay, he sings like a girl. I love this. Hey, there was some time, to go, to go back to those early records, um, there were some people who thought Amy Grant was guesting. Yeah. On, wow. Like, he'll be there for you. Yeah. yeah. They uh, thought that Amy Grant was part of that. Absolutely. I took that as a compliment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, at least people are listening. Well, wow. and I think Strange Way had, it was such a closer because it had that, like we can do a bunch of whiz bang, but we really know how to come down yeah. and tell the story, and in a in a way that we know the fans will love. We know that. Yeah. And it, it was such a Mark moment. I think it was just like, okay, this feels like Mark. It walks and talks like Mark, and I don't think anybody else could have really the song. The character of the song would have changed because he was like this. But your piano intro. Yeah, it's been, it's it's been iconic, ripped off yeah, so many yeah. times. Yes. Yeah, you should have copywritten the yeah, intro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've I've heard that intro on so many songs over and the you, years. Well, even on that cut, there's 20 different cuts with that same with intro. With that same intro, yeah. And you remember why that did not go number one? You might remember that. No, I remember it not. Yeah, I remember it not going number one. Yeah, you remember why? No, it was because the record man. Radio man at the at the record company uh-huh. wanted that to be the first Christian music Christmas album to have two number ones. So it got just before it was going to peak. They released a second single in the first season. It, the, they wanted it to be two number ones in the first season. Oh, first season. I didn't know that. Yeah, right. And just before you know how you, you yeah. make that final push, they sent out the next single. And Christmas only has it, and I, I'm not right. It's only it, it was too late. It was too yeah. late. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, you got to think about Christmas in August. That's, yeah. that's how early right. you need to be thinking. The other about memory it. I have about that record is, and I've told Don this over and over. I'm his biggest fan as when he's producing. I love what he does with our songs. That record, he missed it. I thought on one song. I did. Yes, Which I did. One? I know the he the, cut yeah. it too fast, I and I had heard fast. the demo. Yeah, it's Which called song? "Hold On to Christmas." Hold on to Christmas. Oh yeah, it if was, you heard the original demo uh, on that, you just go. It, yeah. I mean, it was Don singing that had yeah. this passion that 
I remember sitting in Mark's house. That's where we, yeah. we listened through all the songs right. uh, for that one and, and, and came up with this sequence for the record. And I remember that being, thinking that could be a really big song. I thought that was the big song. Yeah, yeah. it was a certainly classic, uh-huh. and I totally missed it. Totally missed it. Oh, well. It was cut too fast. I, 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 and again, I didn't have enough to go back and fix, repair it, and do yeah. the vocals again, and all yeah. of that. But it was, he only uh, only did that in two songs in his whole career, and they were both for him. Yeah. What was the other one? First one was <laughs> "When I'm Gone" was too high. Oh, I don't know about that. And y'all couldn't stage it. Well, maybe that. Well, yeah, yeah maybe. Really. Yeah, well, that, we didn't do it very often. It 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 was so high in yeah. the on the original cut. Oh well, that, come on though. I mean. Everything we did was too high. It was high. It was, you know. It was designed, I mean, really honestly, well, in keying those songs, mm-hmm. at the end of the song, it was always about Andy. I mean, it was just like, we got to put him at the top of his about, range. So Mark, one time, he, he just, he, in a joking way, he was just like, you know, I worked my tail off for three quarters of the song and push it to this place, and then the key changes, <laughs> and Andy right. walks in. That's right. And all for anybody remembers line. is Andy in this high register finishing off the song. I'm like, that's not my problem. Right. That's not my fault. You're the yeah. one that designed the song. <laughs> that's right. And went, let's key change here and bring Andy in. Well, I'm going to come do what I do. That's well, awesome. and part of it, a lot of the songs, to be truly honest, a lot of the songs were keyed too high for Mark. Yeah. Mark was, it, you could hear it. You could yeah. hear him reaching. Oh, I mean, yeah. he could do it. But it was like you could hear the effort. And a lot of people go, well, see how passionate that is? And Mark was going through this phase where he didn't want to be a gentle singer. He wanted to sing hard. I mean, just really hard. And it was like, okay, that's cool. I don't know if that makes you more pop. I'm not sure that's true. Wow. So, be a good place to end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Mark, I'm really sorry we threw you under the bus on that last part, but they went there. So get your own podcast and you can do the same thing to me. Okay, before I go, I have to clear up a couple of things. Brown Bannister did produce a song for For Him on the My Utmost for His Highest album, a song called You Are Holy. And Brent Bourgeois produced our song The Only Thing I Need on the Streams album. Both of those are excellent. You should go check them out. Also, I might have mentioned that He Never Changes was on our debut album. It was not. It appeared on For Him's second album, Face the Nation. Just wanted to clear all that up because I know several of you will call me on it. Okay, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. And if you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Christman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a second, run over to my website, andychrisman.net for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.